Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is sponsored by Freedom Mortgage, dedicated to veterans and your homeownership needs. Visit freedommortgage.com forward slash CBS Vets and MLS 2767. Equal housing lender. This time on Vet Story. I've got to ask, does Fred bark with a with an accent? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think other dogs would say, yeah, he does. We we spent about six days just under constant attack. The Taliban and saying, and we're we're bolder than than anything we had seen. Um, in between mortar attacks and gunfights that, that I, I had spotted him a couple of times just kind of poking around. He wasn't a dog that had been hand-fed by troops or by anyone. He's been living his whole life in, in the dirt. I took a little piece of uh, beef jerky from my from my ruck and I and I just walked over t- towards him and was just like, what is this guy's deal, man? Because even the best behaved family dog back home, you know, take a, take a ring off of your finger when, when they take something out of your hand. And, and he was the, the sweetest little guy. And, Joe gets hit in the head um, the very first day. He gets he takes a round off of his suppressor, and the round hits him in the in the helmet and knocks him out. He remembers very vividly. Fred came in and would lay with him for a little while at a time and check on him. And time wasn't wasn't on our side because it, it, every minute that Fred was on Camp Leatherneck was was another minute that he could get caught. I left up to Fred and, and I said, "Look, man, like if, if you follow me to the helicopter, if, if you if you're not scared off by the rotor wash and all the noise and, and stuff, then and you come, uh, I'll be ready. And you pet a dog if it's for 30 seconds or for 30 minutes, you know that's what you're doing. And and everything else around you kind of evaporates. He still rescues me just every every day." All right, welcome to another episode of Vet Story. I'm your host, Phil Briggs, sitting alongside my colleague, Matt Saintsing. Hello, hello. Happy Veterans Day to you, my Indeed, friend. Indeed, happy Veterans Day observed, right, where we <laughs> don't have it off. We are still working here. I know, right? <laughs> ironic. But I'm glad to be working today to yeah. tell this veteran story. Uh, you have for us kind of a book report. Of sorts, yeah, yeah. So Craig Grassi. He's a Marine yeah, man. that did intelligence work for recon Marines in Afghanistan in 2010. And he wasn't just anywhere in Afghanistan. He was in Sangin. That's what I wanted to chat with you about before we get into his interview yeah. and talking about the book, Craig and Fred. Yeah. Uh, he was in Sangin. Bangin' and Sangin' is what I've heard guys <laughs> yeah. call it. Uh, about 2010, it was... One of the hotter places in the country. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was one of the nastiest places, one of the nastiest fights that we've seen in the global war on yeah. terrorism. Um, and he was, I, he was with the Raiders, Special Operations Marine Corps. 
Marines. The so, Marsoc guys. The, yeah. Like the, yeah, he was doing intelligence work for them. Like the Core 54, the... I'm not sure the, who exactly went there, but he, I know he was attached to Marine Special Operations in Sangin. And of all things, he befriended a dog. Amazing. Yeah. Um, a little background on it, as I just threw out Core 54 like I know anything. Right. Uh, I just interviewed <laughs> another guy that was a Marsoc yeah, Raider I remember that guy. Yeah, not yeah. too long ago, yeah. and they are such badasses. Oh, for sure. It's intense work that they do, to say the least. Sangin was... One of the bloodiest things we've ever seen over there. 3rd Battalion, 7th Marine Regiment uh, did the initial clearing operations. 3rd Battalion, 5th Marine Regiment continued and is credited with completing the clearing phase. Sangin is considered by some the bloodiest battleground in Afghanistan for both the U.S. and the Brits alike. That's crazy. And it, it's even crazier to think that, of all things, he smuggled a dog out of the country. And that's where the book comes in, Craig and Fred. Very cool. All right, let's roll into the interview with a little clip from the book. Go ahead and read, read something that you really liked. Fred quickly became popular in the compound. Within 48 hours, the guys started calling him Freddy, or Freddy Zone, a combination of his name and Combat Zone. Hey, Freddy Zone, we'd call out in the stretches of afternoon when the compound was hot and quiet. Fred would mosey over for a pet and a treat, happy for the attention. I started to share my MREs with him here and there. One day, I smeared peanut butter on the roof of his mouth, and he sat there licking his lips, trying to reach every last bit with his tongue while I giggled. He was like a little brother. That's awesome. Before we get into that, I've got to ask, does Fred bark with an, with an accent? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I think other dogs would say, yeah, he does. I mean, he's got, he, he's got a, a very unique uh, pitch to his bark and it, it, and it's almost like its own little language. You can tell kind of what's going on, you know, what he's, what he's barking about just by the, the sound of it. And, uh, yeah, when we go to the dog park and he, and he, he barks at other dogs, uh, it, it kind of stops in, in their tracks and they kind of look at him like, what was that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. You first joined the Marines in 2003, but when you first joined, you know, I, I was in the, I joined the Army in 2003 as well. Uh, but when, when, yeah. you, when you joined the Marines, it wasn't exactly what you hoped for. Uh, and, and, and it kind of led you on a different path. So you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it was, you know, I, I learned a hard lesson. I think that a lot of vets uh, learn, uh, you know, if you join the military to do what you want to do, you, you got the wrong idea. And I, I had like a lot of, you know, uh, new enlistees, I, I had high hopes, and, you know, I, I envisioned, you know, a, a doing a couple of years in the military police and, and maybe working, you know, on a canine team. And, and uh, actually we, we invaded Iraq while I was at Paris Island going through boot camp. And so I kind of had this vision of, of what my, you know, we had transitioned from peacetime recruits to wartime recruits and everything was, was different. And, um, and then my first four years, the closest I got to, a traditional, you know, combat deployment was, was being sent to Gitmo and working on the cell blocks in Gitmo. And then the rest of my time was spent working, you know, in, in correction facilities and brigs uh, within our, within our own military. And that, it was just not at all what, I mean, not even a, not even a sliver of what I had envisioned for, for my time. And, and but I, I, I did know one really important thing after those first four years. And that was, I, I loved being a Marine and I, and I, and I was, you know, just in love with the culture and, and what the Marine Corps represented. And, and I knew I, I was, I was okay at it, you know, and I, I wanted to just find, I was frustrated, but I wanted to, to find my, my role 
I can definitely relate to that because, you know, I was in high school when 9-11 happened. And then right when I graduated high school in 2003, that summer, I went right to basic training. And my plan, mm-hmm. my plan was, you know, I'm going to go to Afghanistan. And I'm going to find Bin Laden. You know, like this is like, the, yeah, this, is like right. the, this is the image, you know, I, I well, was yeah. bright eyed and bushy tailed when I was at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And then the right. army in its infinite wisdom had decided to send me to Iraq twice. I've never even been to Afghanistan. So. Right. Okay. It, yeah. It's definitely right. like, um, definitely a story of like, uh, get what you you want to have the military because they're definitely going to get what they want out of you so that's right yeah yep. yeah yeah but, and, and in that in those first four years i mean i i made some amazing friends that i i'm still close with to today and i had you know and i yeah and it, it is it's just like any job you know you might not love it but but there's always going to be opportunities to to get something out of it and that's that's just the way you have to approach it yeah, so uh, you went you went back to the Marines, but this time is a little different. And the work you're doing eventually led to, as you said, to work with intelligence and with the elite recon Marines uh, in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So, what was your path like? Yeah, I mean, it was finding the the field of uh, of human intelligence was was uh you know was just was kind of a a crazy little path. I mean, I was talking to to prior service recruiters and different people to try to figure out what I could do when I when I got back in, and and um, there was this one prior service recruiter that happened to have some a couple of guys from the human intel field uh, downstairs in the office downstairs. And he just sent me to them and cause they do all their own recruiting and all their own screening. And, and that kind of kicked off a, you know, about a year's worth of, of just boarding and training before I could even have the opportunity to, uh, to go to the school. And so it was just a, like a long path, but a, like a, I could tell right away that I was on the right one, just being in the room with, with those guys and the people that had, that did the job, you know, I could tell that they, they were, it was the, it was the right field for me. And so, uh, once I completed all the training and got re re, um, you know, a, a new MOS and redesignated, uh, it was just a matter of, of waiting for, you know, the, the workup for a deployment to Afghanistan was a year. And so we were just kind of constantly training and, and I took it upon myself along with one of my friends, um, uh, to just make sure we were in the best shape possible yeah uh because we knew we knew pretty early on that we were we were going over in a in a general support role so we weren't specifically assigned to any any unit and so we could we could have ended up you know screening base workers or, or i could have ended up right back in a in a detention facility yeah. um screening, screening detainees and on camp leatherneck um and spent my whole deployment on camp leatherneck and that the idea of that just drove me insane so uh me and my friend PJ were just in the gym, kind of constantly between classes and between training, we were, and just making sure, you know, that our command, if something came down the, the line for, for a unit like recon or, or, or a traditional infantry unit, that, you know, we would be the first ones that they thought of. And uh, it, it, it worked out. That was, it, 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 it's exactly the kind of the impression that we made on our command. So within the first week and a half of being at Kent Leatherneck, um, Recon first recon came down and, and said they needed a, a collector for an operation just outside of Marja and and um, the, my name was the first one kind of out of out of the mouth of, of my leadership and and then it, then it was the rest of it was on on me I really had to prove myself to those guys and, and show them that I brought something to the battlefield that they they couldn't necessarily provide for themselves and that I, I could keep up with their uh, with their patrol pace and their operations in general and. Um, and that's that first operation in uh, just outside of Marja, um, making that strong impression on them, led them to just kind of adopt me for the 
for the rest of their deployment and then for them to pass me off onto to second recon when, when they ripped in. Um, and that's what that's what led me to to, to Sangin and that's what led me to Fred was, was that you know, that preparation and just being ready to to operate at at that tempo. I gotta say, when I was in the army, I was a signals intelligence analyst too, and uh, or mm-hmm. and I was in the hundred first airborne, and I I just cannot stress enough, uh, just even like having your PT right or kind of being like a good soldier or a good marine. Uh, when the time comes to go to a, an operational unit or you're going down to support an infantry or special operations community, they want to know that that you bring a set of skills and they don't have to they don't have to babysit you and when you come from right. the intel community or from other some other support areas it's kind of on you to, to prove that so i can definitely relate to how you're trying to kind of step it up to to to, to prove you're the best type of thing yeah exactly yeah i mean they don't, they're not looking for you to to be a good shooter or you know be be as good as them with with a rifle or with a you know with land nav or anything like that but they want they want you to be able to, to hold your own that's for sure yeah, yeah. just yeah in the in the mess that is Afghanistan, you found an unlikely friend. Now, Fred, yeah. who's your first dog, right? Yep. And yeah. <laughs> tell me about the first time you, you met Fred. Yeah, so that was um, we 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 spent about six days just under constant attack. Um, the, the Taliban and Sangin were were bolder than than anything we had seen, um, and it was just kind of in between defending ourselves and in between mortar attacks and gunfights that, that I, I had spotted him a couple of times just kind of poking around um, you know by himself he was kind of a loner and, and he always was just kind of during the day was out walking around which was unusual uh, most of the times we saw dogs or at least when they were really active was, was at night when it was cooler um, so I, I kind of had spotted him and was just kind of curious but I, it wasn't the right time and after after a little while, the, the Taliban kind of let up on us because the, those recon guys were really were really giving it back to them pretty effectively, and um, so things calmed down just a little bit. And, and I saw Fred; he had a little clump of bushes that he kind of made his own little den. I could see where he had buried scraps of food and little bones and stuff. And and he was just kind of laying in it, trying to get out of the heat. You know, I, I just I couldn't I couldn't resist. I, I he is my first dog, but I've always loved dogs, and and. Um, Same. <laughs> he just was so he was so intriguing, you know. He just the way he looked and the way he carried himself, and so I, I took a little piece of uh, beef jerky from my from my ruck, and I and I just walked over t- towards him, and uh, and I could tell as I got a little closer, you know, I could tell he was he was really dirty, uh, just kind of that matted fur that, that happens when when um, you know he just hasn't he's been living his whole life in, in the dirt, and um, and he was covered in these crazy bugs uh they were like they looked like flying ticks like they they would land on him but they would burrow into his hide and they were all kind of around his neck and and on top of his head and um and he was obviously you know malnourished and and just hot and uncomfortable and and so uh, you know an animal like that you know you they have every reason in the world to to not really trust you and and just kind of um you know snap at you And, and so i i approached him pretty cautiously and as i got a little bit closer uh he 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 did something that that has left an eternal impression on me, and it's really just kind of to me the, the one of the most important moments of my life. And he was he started to wag his tail, and and that really just like right away just stopped me in my tracks because you know this dog had absolutely nothing to wag his tail about, you know, and he clearly he wasn't a fob dog. He wasn't a dog that had been hand fed by troops or by anyone, you know, in his life. And, and he's but he was holding on. He was holding on to his hope and it, it, it turns into you know what what i now call stubborn positivity 
um, you know, despite having every reason in the world to, to descend kind of into negativity into to a negative mindset, he, he remained positive and, and, and he wagged his tail at a total stranger. And, and so I knelt down and, and I, uh, I gave him a, held out the piece of beef jerky and he, and he surprised me for a second time when he kind of stood up and, and came over and, and took the beef jerky as gently as he possibly could with his front teeth you know, and and chewed it very politely. And I was just like, what is this guy's deal, man? Because even the best behaved family dog back home, you know, take a take a ring off of your finger when, when they take something out of your hand. And, and he was the, the sweetest little guy. And um, so that was that was kind of our, our first our first meeting. And, and from there, it, he just, uh, you know, he, he kind of just came into my life and the, the lives of the, of the guys that, that I was with and, and, and we're still we're still at it. Yeah and it, it seems in the book that Fred kind of took you out of the fight in, in, in the sense that, sense that you obviously were in Afghanistan but it, it, that moment you described when you saw him first wagging your tail and kind of just spending time uh, with Fred and with Fred spending time with, with, with the team it, you know f- finding something else in, in combat uh, when you're especially when you're deployed can be really d- difficult trying to f- having to focus on something else is is really hard so how how, yeah. how did fred how's fred able to do this with you and how he's able to win over the hearts of these fierce me- recon marines yeah i mean yeah you're right because there's only you can only read the the same uh magazine so many times or, or listen to to the songs on your ipod you know so many times and, and eventually you know to, to try to escape that the reality and and uh so yeah fred it, it's just that unique power that dogs and animals in, in general just have, have, you know, they, they, when you, when you sit down and you, and you pet a dog, if it's for 30 seconds or, or 30 minutes, you know, that's what you're doing. And, and everything else around you kind of evaporates and, and it's valuable. Your blood, your blood pressure drops and, you know, and you're just content. And, and Fred, you know, it, it doesn't matter, you know, how, how hard we were as, as far as Marines go, you know, like that, that's a powerful thing. And, and, and we were all, we were all susceptible to it. Um, and it was just, it was so important to us because that fight was, was rough and the, just the constant bombardments and the long nighttime patrols, um, you know, just the, 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 uh, the connection that we all had with Fred was, was so valuable and so important. Was there an, a trust issue at first? Because I can I can only imagine a feral dog anywhere in the world would be a, a little bit wary of strangers, let alone in a place where gunshots, mortars, and rockets are uh, often heard uh, mm-hmm. in, in really close proximity. So I'm kind of amazed that you're able to form this bond so quickly with a dog that really kind of seemed down on his luck. You're right. I mean, and and uh, but it was it was instant. Uh, the bond, and even before. Even before I made my first contact with Fred, he he had kind of started uh, to 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 become one of us and to kind of break down the that that barrier of, of mistrust between you know an animal and and people and and that that scene and um and the part when when my when Murdy uh, Joe gets hit in the head um, the very first day he gets, he takes a round off of his suppressor and the round hits him in the, in the helmet and knocks him out. And I think readers will really see it. And that, like, that is, you know, our first glimpse. And, and I, I didn't know about that part of the book or, or that, 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 that took place until I reconnected with Joe 
while I was writing. And he told me like, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things he had a really severe traumatic brain injury, but, uh, he remembers very vividly like laying, he had, we had to lay, put him in a dark room so he could recover while we waited for the medevac. Um, and Fred came in and, and all on his own, this was before we made, I fed him jerky or anything. And Fred came in and would lay with him for a little while at a time and check on him. And, and so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it, it just, in other circumstances, yeah, it would be more like, you know, kind of, slowly breaking the dog of, uh, you know, of, of the mistrust and, and the, you know, and, and those habits of, of not, you know, not getting along with humans. But Fred was, it was like he was waiting for us. It was like he, you know, we were, you know, we, we were kind of destined to, to come across this little guy. Now, his journey home is also unique in the fact that I think his first, he was in a helicopter before he was even in a vehicle, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which is yeah, know, I love that. So crazy when we talk about dogs going for car rides here in the states. It just seems so routine. Yeah, but, you know, he got really first class ticket, or maybe not so first class. But tell me a little bit about <laughs> how you uh, you got him to the states and how you and a couple other people took some chances and broke some of the rules along the way. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, just the the course of time in the field with him really. Um, you know, it demonstrated that, you know, he, he, he would do anything for us and, and he, he was worth taking that risk for. And, and, and to me, the final um, kind of action that, that he took to demonstrate that was following me to the helicopter. Um, because that was, to me, that was the last, like that, that was the last little sign that I needed because we were coming up with schemes and we were coming up with plans. Like we'll give him Benadryl or we'll, you know, we'll try to just, put, we'll make a leash and try to walk him on the back of the helicopter. Just like maybe nobody will notice. I'll think he's a working dog. Like we had all these little schemes, but ultimately I, I didn't want it to, to feel, I didn't want to feel like we were just stealing him or that we were forcing him. And so I left it up to Fred and, and I said, look, man, like if, if you follow me to the helicopter if, and you're not scared off like any other normal, uh, feral dog or any normal dog would be, you know, cause they have, they have to train military working dogs to yeah. run onto the back doctors and do stuff like that. Um, you know, but if, if you, if you're not scared off by the rotor wash and all the noise and, and stuff, then and you come, uh, I'll be ready and, and I'll honor that and, and we'll see what we can make happen. But I didn't really have a huge plan after that. Um, and yeah, and sure enough, we were running on the back of the helicopter and I feel a little poke at my heel and, and, and don't get me wrong. He was terrified. He yeah. was so scared, but he was coming. And, and so I had a, a little a kit bag, a little duffel bag in my car, stuffed in my cargo pocket. And um, my my buddy Top, the master sergeant on the mission, um, reached down and grabbed Fred by by the back of the neck, and we stuffed him in this duffel bag and zipped it closed. And, and that's how he rode out of the field. Was just kind of as a stowaway in our uh, in in our duffel bag. I just did my best to make it look like it was some gear, so nobody on the on the on the helicopter would have noticed. And um, but I got lots of, uh, lots of little smiles and, and nods from the recon guys that, as, as we rode, uh, it was about an hour flight, maybe a little longer back to Camp Leatherneck. And from there, it was, it was when the, you know, where the story really, really unfolds. And, and the more I write it and the more I talk about it, the more I can just see, you know, how, how, uh, how crazy it was. Cause it could have gone wrong very easily from there. I mean, Camp Leatherneck is a, is a really fortified um, place and it's the kind of place you know where you know it, it, you, you can't even walk around with a bad shave 
you right. know, let alone have, have a dog in your room. And so from there, it was, yeah, it was, it was up to, it was up to me. And it was, and luckily I had, a, I had a lot of, a lot of awesome people that, that came in into play um, and people that from unexpected places and, and just with, again, with like, with no reason really to help other than just a love of, of Fred and the love of, of what is good. Um, and, and so, yeah, it was the, it was up to a crew of, of DHL workers um, to, to really step in and, and take care of them. Cause we only had a two week break back at camp another night before we were going back out into Sangin. Um, and that wasn't enough time to, to get them home. So uh, yeah, these guys from they were they worked for DHL, but they were, they were third country nationals. They were from countries in Africa and, and, uh, and East Asia and, and all over the place. And, and they loved Fred. Uh, and, and it was, it was just, and Fred loved them. Fred really showed them, you know, who he was. And, um, they practically begged me to, to, to let me, let, let them watch him while I went back out into the field. And, uh, and then back home, my sister was, was doing a lot of phone calls, taking a lot of phone calls and writing a lot of emails, reaching out to, to different groups to try and, and get Fred home. And, and, and at the time there wasn't a lot of traction for, for stuff like that in Afghanistan. There was, there was a, a pretty firm way to get it done in Iraq, but the, their groups, you know, were, were sporadic and, and it, it really just ultimately took a lot of time and, that, and time wasn't, wasn't on our side because it, it, every minute that Fred was on Camp Leatherneck was, was another minute that he could get caught. Um, so that, that, that was what kind of led me to, to just, to breaking the rules and to just get to doing whatever it took to get him home. And, and I took as many steps as I could in terms of just verifying that he, you know, he, he wasn't, contagious and that he didn't have any kind of a disease that would be a risk to, to anybody along the, along the journey. And, um, I, I was lucky that, um, a really kind British army vet agreed to, to give him an, an exam and, and, and just kind of just for peace of mind. And, uh, it made it a little easier to, to fudge the, the forms that, that the customs forms and the veterinarian forms, uh, with, with her, with her evaluation under, under us and, yeah, and it was just a matter of of kind of just getting it done and not asking too many questions and just doing doing what needed to be done to to get this little guy home. Yeah, so it sounds like Camp Leatherneck is like close to the flagpole, as they say. Where if if, if you're yeah. if you're at a uniform, uh, you're going to hear about it. Like no more than ten steps outside your hooch. So the fact yeah, that you exactly. smuggled a living furry bark furry bark, barking friend <laughs> yeah. is nothing short yeah. of 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 insane. When when, when I was reading yeah. it, and I was like, oh my god, this is crazy. So um, yeah, in the title of the book, it suggests it says, "And how they rescued each other." So mm-hmm. you know, coming home from uh, combat, you know, is, is is a story. You know, we've we people in the, in the veteran and military community have heard a, a thousand times. But uh, this this was Fred's coming home story too, really, and he's coming home to a, a an area that he is never was never part of. Uh, so, but, mm-hmm. so talk to you about how he kind of helped you get over some struggles. Fred, to me, just you know, he still he still rescues me just every every day. Just looking at him, you know, and watching him, you know, chase a squirrel or, or play with play with another dog, you know, it, it he to me is a reminder of what I'm capable of of what, you know, like I got him out, you know, and like, and it's, it's, you know, it, he kind of reminds me of, of what is possible, you know, when, when, uh, when you stand up for, for something like, you know, something that's, that, that's good. And, and then just, you know, going back to that first day when he wagged his tail at me, you know, like that, he's a reminder to me of the power of positivity and, and what is possible when, when we understand that it's, it's not what happens to you, but how you react 
that matters and, and just being stubbornly positive. Um, and so, you know, coming home and, and making that transition, you know, to was was challenging for me and it's challenging for, for every vet. And you're right, it, it is a story that we've, we've, we're, we're really familiar with in the veterans community. But I, I think what's important for us to realize in that, uh, is that everybody's is different. And I think, you know, I, I think that sometimes when we transition the way in the programs we go through and the things that we're told, we're meant to think that, you know, it's just something that's supposed to happen kind of quickly. And, and that it's there's one there's only one way to do it or there's there's you know there's only a couple ways to do it and i think that that you know i think the better the more we realize as veterans that it's a it's a slow transition and that it doesn't have to happen quickly and that it's it's ultimately our transition to make you know and that it's it's the it's it, it doesn't have to be like anyone else's um you know that that's important and it it, it can you know just kind of you know, just slow down a little bit and really think about your options. And, and that's, you know, kind of what looking at Fred and, and just kind of sharing our story over the, over the, over the years has really, um, you know, helped me transition into, into writing and realizing how much I love storytelling. Um, and so that's, that's one huge way that, that he's, uh, he's impacted me since, since Afghanistan. Yeah. And you're up in Maine right now, but you're getting ready to go on a uh, book tour of sorts. Uh, yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we're really excited. We're going to be um, starting out in uh, in Rhode Island um, and then working our way through uh, Connecticut and uh, New Hampshire and New York and New Jersey and all the way down into, into D.C. And, and um, there's a lot of really great events and book signings. And I'll be doing some readings and, and taking questions and and Fred will be along on the journey, so uh, people can come out and get a look at him. And um, that's the big seller. And, that's the big seller. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you want just a, a, a starting point? You can just you can just go to our website, uh, fredtheafghan.com, and and it's all laid out for you right there. And we have two editions. We have a regular adult uh, edition, and we have a young reader that's designed more for eight to twelve year olds. Um, and it's just a little bit more of a sanitized version, but all the all the all the messages and all the great stories are, are still in there, and um, and so we're really excited that we have we have two books uh, to get. You know, it's just another opportunity to share our story with with different audiences, and, and that's you know we're really proud and really really excited about that. That'll do it for this episode of Vet Story. I'm Phil Briggs, wishing you a happy Veterans Day, and know from all of us veterans here. To all the veterans out there and their four-legged best friends, we thank you and honor the sacrifices that you've made. I'll talk to you again on another vet story real soon at ConnectingVets.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.